when people gather together, it, it's not automatic that we would come as, as multiple bodies in one sacrifice. We have to cooperate with God's activity. We actually have to train. We have to put forth intelligent effort, not just like, oh, I'm, I'm really trying, but effort that is intelligent to what God is doing among us. So let's pray and ask that God would help us. Um, we're already here, so let's, let's do our best to engage some intelligent effort today. Um, Daddy, um, would you help us to know you today? Help us to know your character. Help us to hear from you. When, when we know you, we can begin to know ourselves. So we really, really want to know you more today. We love you and we pray that uh, the words of, of your scripture, these words that your spirit penned through Paul would just sink and, and marinate deep in our souls, not just today, this week, but uh, throughout our lives. Amen. So here is our passage today. It comes out of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 3. We're actually picking up right where we left off the last two weeks. Uh, we'd been talking about 3, 10 through 13. Now we're in verse 14. So what do you know? Verse 14. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees, I, I pray before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. There's not a whole lot to work with there, is there? No. <laughs> this is such a loaded passage. Forgive my sarcasm. But I want to start with verse 14 for this reason. And I want to remind you of what he had just said. He had just said, my suffering, don't be discouraged because of my suffering. It's your glory. That's verse 13. He says to the church, don't be discouraged because of my suffering. My suffering is producing a certain glory in you. And he's saying, for this reason, my suffering, your glory, I'm praying for you. And then he goes on and here's what he prays. That God would grant... And I'm skipping some lines because Paul is just loading up. But I just want you to get the point. That God would grant strength through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ would dwell in your hearts and you would know God's love. That, that's, the, that's the essence of Paul's point. So what is Paul's point? And, and you can see I kind of tried to bullet point this prayer here in this slide. But the essence of Paul's prayer is that you would know 
God's love for you. And in so doing, that you're changed. That's, that's what it means when he says at the end that you'd be filled up to all the fullness of God. How do we know what the fullness of God is? Well, Jesus is the fullness of God. Read Hebrews 1. So the, 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 the point of this passage, simply put, is, is knowing God. It is a life, a whole life of love relationship with God. That, that's what we mean, that's what I mean when I say knowing God. And so that's, that's Paul's point in, in this prayer, is that you would know God. That's why you need Holy Spirit power in your inner man, so that you would know God. That's, that's why you have faith, is so that you would know God. God. So, so we're going to unpack knowing God. And, and first, to unpack that phrase, knowing God, we need to understand knowledge a little bit. So we're going to, we're going to have to start with a little philosophy. So I, I believe in you guys. I know you're smart. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to lose you. You're, you're too smart to lose you with a little philosophy. And you know what they say about philosophers, don't you? They, they can go down deeper and stay down longer and come up drier than anybody else. Let that sink in. It's not as funny the second time. So, a little bit of philosophy here. Um, what is knowledge? And the relationship between faith and knowledge. Because, honestly, when, when you tell people that you have faith in Jesus, they do not hear, in our, in our society today, they do not hear that you have knowledge. In fact, they hear the opposite of knowledge. That's what they think. But I want to just show real quick, little philosophy lesson, knowledge and faith are not opposed to each other. So here's, here's a helpful working definition of knowledge. The ability to accurately represent something on the condition of thought and experience. So if you have knowledge of algebra, it's more than just having accurate thoughts, but you have experience of how algebra works. You're able to do algebra. And that, that type of knowledge doesn't just come to you suddenly as you walk down the street or even as you walk into an algebra classroom. You have to appropriately engage the thoughts and experiences provided by the teacher in order to obtain knowledge. And so when we talk about knowledge of God, we're not saying we have complete knowledge when we know God, but we do have adequate knowledge. We have enough and we have accurate knowledge. So that's just a quick overview of knowledge. Faith is being ready and willing to act as though something were true. So we don't, believe something when we say it. We don't believe when we believe that we believe. <laughs> but we believe when we act and we intend to act as though something were true. So faith is often associated with, oh, people of faith, they take leaps. And uh, secular people don't take leaps. That They operate on knowledge. But Faith and knowledge are tied together because when you act in a certain way, you're believing something was true. You're believing knowledge 
about a particular thing, whether it be the chair that you're sitting in, you're, you're, you're exercising faith in that chair. You have experiences, you have thoughts about when I place my derriere on that chair, nothing bad will happen like I'm not going to fall to the floor. Or I, I don't have to be worried about um, my stability. You're, you're ready and willing to act as though something were true about that chair. It's based on your knowledge. And so whenever someone says, oh, I, I just don't have what it takes to take leaps of faith, you can say, well, um, have you considered some facts that might help you? Because faith is not detached from knowledge. We all put faith in whatever we think we know. That's, that's the best way I can say it. We all put faith in whatever we think we know. Don't worry, philosophy 101 is almost done. The last thing I want to say is that profession, profession is not necessarily faith. Profession is when we say we think something is true. But just because we say it doesn't mean we're ready and willing to act on it. If I say, Todd, I can run a six-minute mile, (laughs) um, I might not be ready, willing, and able to actually go run the six-minute mile. I just professed that I could do it. So everyone has a foundation for something. Faith and knowledge are not opposed to each other. And just because we say something doesn't actually mean we believe it. Okay, so let's tie that back into the passage. Because knowing God, it, it, it is implying that we have knowledge. That we're accurately re- representing him on the condition of our thought and experience. So knowing God is, is way different. And I know this might sound like semantics, but it, we're about to see this is very bi- biblical. Knowing God is very, very, very different than knowing about God. Knowing God and knowing about God are two very different things. And, and I've used this illustration before. Um, I can know about someone who I've never met through identity fraud. I can, you, you, someone's identity can be stolen because they know all about you. Your identity could be stolen if someone knows all about you and they can never know you. Okay? It's, just, it's the same way with knowing about God. Everyone, the Bible says, knows enough about God. Romans 1 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress, they hold down the truth. Because, why are they holding down the truth? Because they know about God. It's evident within them. God makes it evident within all of us. We all know enough about God to do something with it. And Paul is saying, uh, this is our tendency. Push it down, ignore it. Everyone knows enough about God. But what we need is not more information about God. We need knowledge of God. We need to know God. And so when Jesus came, God made himself known. John 1 says, No one has ever seen God, but the only Son, the begotten Son, Jesus, who's at the Father's side, he has made God known. 
or Philip said in John 14 to, to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. Just show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, after, after I've been along, among you such a long time, everyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Because Jesus is saying, I've been making him known. So Paul says when you know God, like personally, what happens is you become like him. You're filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Your life is moving in that certain direction. And it's not about perfection. It's about this settled life direction. Your life is continually being changed. And one evidence, one evidence of a changed life is when you mess up, you don't suppress it. You fess up and you move on, right? You believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You know that about him, but you actually know he's your savior. He died on the cross for your sins. And so you have nothing to lose other than your pride, which is a good thing to lose, um, by confessing your sins to God, to other people, and moving on. That's what it looks like to live in a settled life direction. And in case you're thinking, Ben, I know God. I accepted Jesus a long time ago. That's exactly, the, that's exactly the kind of person, that's exactly the person that Paul is writing to in this prayer. He's saying, I pray that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. But he's saying that to the church. This isn't about the start of a relationship. This is about continuation. And so, I don't, I don't do this often, but, and I, I gotta say, I don't have anyone in mind. Uh, this isn't targeted or meant to make you doubt but uh, if you don't know that you know God, you really need to get that settled. The Holy Spirit, so I, what we're about to enter into is kind of a time of that. The Holy Spirit, is, is, he brings loving, clear conviction of sin. The devil just wants you to feel bad and not know why you feel bad. Just wallow in guilt. And so, if you have professed, this goes back to the knowledge thing. If you've professed, you've made, made, you know, said a prayer that you want to follow Jesus, but you've never actually placed your confidence in him, you, you don't really, looking back on your life, you're like, yeah, I, I don't uh, recall um, being ready and willing and able uh, to trust him, to, to, to live out of knowledge of him, like, like he's the truth then it's, it's possible a couple things. One, that you may have, may have never been born again. Um, and I, again, I'm not trying to sow doubt, but we need to know this. Or two, you may have been born again, but no one ever taught you how to live this new life. Like we don't just let our kids do whatever they want and uh, fail to teach them how to live life. We, we have to have formative leadership. And so, you know, it's just, it's just so possible that uh, people respond to Jesus because they don't want to go to hell and then they use him. <laughs> and, and this happened in Jesus' day. People wanted to use him and not really follow him. They didn't really want to trust him. They just wanted to use him. And uh, this is how Jesus responds to, to that. In John 2, uh, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing, the miracles. Uh, but Jesus, 
John 2, 24, Jesus did not entrust himself to them. So they would say, I, I know you, Jesus. I, I, tr- I believe you <laughs> because of the signs. But Jesus, is, he didn't entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man. He, he knew what was in a man. So my question, and again, this is not meant to sow doubt at all. In fact, it really should shore us up and it should help us understand some of what happens in the world around us. But my question is, do you know about God and his love or do you know God? Do you know his love? And, and don't feel bad if your answer is no or I don't know. The only bad answer here is a dishonest one. Everyone starts by knowing about God and suppressing the truth, but anyone can move to the place of knowing God. So again, I'm, I'm not indicting anyone. It's quite possible you know God, but no one ever taught you how to know him more. But I just don't want you to be misled. I mean, even the demons know about him. Um, so it, it's, it's very different. And again, if you feel vague, cloudy sense of guilt, that's the devil. If you, if you sense very clear, specific direction, um, that's the Holy Spirit. It's a correction out of love. It's an invitation towards love relationship with him. And I, I just care too much about you to not say something. And I believe as God's people, we are to care too much about uh, each other and the world to not say something. So what's all this have to do with the church? <laughs> Well, knowing God's love is a community endeavor. And it's littered throughout this passage. You see all the red marks in that tiny... That's how I got to the point of the passage, just so you know. Knowing and comprehending is highlighted. Uh, that's what Paul's driving at in the prayer. But all the red marks, it's, it's, it's you, plural. So we read the Bible and we see you and it, I, I think it's talking about me, but it's talking about us. It's all plural. It's all you all. So knowing God's love is a community endeavor. Something as Paul prays, that together with all the saints, all together we know the height, depth, width, and breadth of God's love. And only then, only as we engage knowing God personally as a community endeavor, can we begin to expect to experience what he says in verse 20. And this is an incredible promise, but it's often, you know, like a lot of scripture, it's pulled out of its context. The context here is we know God's love together, and it's a, it's a love that surpasses, surpasses knowledge, which if you just, just think about that for five minutes, and you might have a headache. Knowing a love that surpasses knowledge, it's, it's experiential. Um, but, but here's the promise. To him who's able to do far more abundantly beyond what we ask or think according to that internal Holy Spirit power that he works in us, to him be glory. So if we want glory in the church, if we want to glorify God, the only way to do that is pursue knowing God in the context of community. That's where the promise is located. He's able to do more than we can ask or think, like knowing a love that surpasses knowledge. And as we faithfully move towards knowing and loving God, we will move towards his glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. So the church, we, as the church, we are stewards of knowledge. 
we've been entrusted by God with knowledge that is his, that we are to be responsible for, knowledge of him. And you can think I'm arrogant to say this, but I think it's true. It's the most important knowledge in the world, the knowledge of God. We're responsible for that. Not because we're great, <laughs> but because God is great. And he's entrusted this knowledge to us. And it's not, again, not knowing about God. It's knowing him. This happens when we follow Jesus with our whole life. That's discipleship. It's being with Jesus and learning to be like him. And then we have something to offer to the world. Because that's what we're about. That's who we are. And I really believe the rest will take care of itself. And I don't say that to, you know, like, shirk and avoid responsibilities of parenting and finances and work and life is crazy and cars break. And, but I'm just saying priorities, right? What's, what's the highest priority? You can know God in the midst of dealing with broken cars and broken relationships as we faithfully move towards knowing God, the, the rest of life will take care of itself. And Jesus said that in John si or, uh, Matthew 6. So I'm quite comfortable with that statement in thought. I'm still moving towards it in experience. So let's pray and just, cre we're gonna just use this time and space to, to ask God to make his love known. Um, his love for you, his love for us. Just be qu quiet and ask for him to show you his love again. Lord, we thank you for loving us. That uh, that was your settled. That's your settled disposition towards us. It's not a feeling. It's your choice. Your commitment, not because of who we are or what we've done, 
but who you are and what you've done, Jesus. Help us to grow and to to love you more and more. Um, The only way that happens is we become more and more aware of your love for us. So I, I pray for myself and for this church, just as Paul prayed, that we would know you. We would know your love, love that surpasses knowledge. How high and how deep, how wide and how long.